Today we're going to be reading from Job chapter 1. Uh, Job chapter 1. Now normally I, I know what page that is in the Pew Bibles, but I have no clue what the page it is on your Pew Bibles. So I'll just give you guys time to flip through your Bibles, find it. Uh, it should be before the Psalms. Uh, Job chapter 1. And you guys have the, the ESV version, right? Yeah? Okay. Uh, my, my church back... Uh, back at the Congregational Church, we have the, the old NIV, the 1984 version. And so that's in all the pews. And so uh, that's what I normally read, but I actually prepared in the ESV for this week. So you're all set. All right. You all there? All right, let's, let's go. Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uts whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you, you have blessed the work of his hands and, and his possessions have increased in the land. But, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to, his, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans came and fell, fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons 
and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Thus ends our reading of God's inspired and authoritative word. May it dwell in you richly, comforting you in your times of sorrow. If any of you are familiar with the book of Job, then you will know that it is not a light-hearted book. It deals with the agonies we face as humans living in a fallen creation. In our postmodern world that we live in, the predominant religious belief out there is a simplistic form of karma. Karma is a, is a basic way of saying good things come to those who do good and bad things come to those who do bad. This way of thinking is not only simple, but to our finite minds, it seems just and right. It's fair, evil gets punished and good, rewarded. The only problem with karma is that things in this world never work out the way we think they should. Evil people can live their whole lives without suffering much pain, while at the same time a, a young child develops cancer and has a year to live. So while karma may seem like the ideal situation, the, the reality of our world paints a much different picture. In a society that wants justice now, we, we come to a book like Job and read about a God who does not guarantee that life's going to be fair. For in this story, we are introduced to this man named Job, and he is a good man who suffers horrific things. This model of karma doesn't fit this story. Now, if you, if you read through the whole book, book of Job, you will see that there's a central theme running through, throughout the narrative. This theme can be summed up in a question. Does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, will Job curse God? On the flip side of this lies another question. Is God worthy of praise solely because he is God? Or is it only God's gifts that make him worthy of our worship? Job is a book about faith and trust. Now, many theologians will try to put forth the notion of theodicy when expounding upon Job. And theodicy is just a, a fancy term for for the questions concerning God and suffering that time and again come across everyone's minds. 
How can an all-powerful God be good in a world like this? Or to put it another way, how, how can a good God be all-powerful when evil abounds? The, the problem of evil challenges the notion that, that God is both sovereign and good. Yet the question of theodicy is not the central issue of the book of Job. God's power and his, his goodness are, are never really in question. Even, even Job's antagonizers later on, they, they believe in both of these things. The real question is this. How does a righteous person respond to an all-powerful and good God while in the midst of suffering? You see, the, the book of Job turns the question of theodicy on its head. Instead of focusing on how God, how God should be acting, the author asks the reader how he or she should respond to a sovereign and loving God in a world full of pain and anguish. This book unashamedly boasts that God is both almighty and righteous. So the real question is, does Job fear God for no reason? Will Job curse God? Does Job have true faith? You see, here, here's the point you need to understand. Job doesn't, he doesn't suffer because he, he is the worst of, worst of men. It's, it's precisely the opposite. Job's affliction comes about because he is the best of men. When such is the case, when the, when the laws of karma fail, what do you do? What do you do? How, how do you react when the economy crashes and you lose your job? How do you, how do you respond when you get that diagnosis of cancer? How will you cope when, when your loved one passes away suddenly? Who do you look to when, when your body is in constant pain? Where is your faith in God when your world comes crashing down upon you? These are the, the questions that you face, and, and these are the same questions that were before Job. That being said, let's dive in. Now, Job chapter 1 is broken up into three scenes. First, there is the introduction. We get to see who this character is, what Job is like. Second, we are lifted upwards into the throne room of God. There we see the cause of Job's dilemma. And finally, we head back downstairs to discover the outcomes of those heavenly decisions. In this first act, we learn a lot about this man named Job. For one, the, the Hebrew word Job or Yob conveys two meanings. First, it can be used to describe someone who is the object of enmity. But it can also refer to, to one who repents and turns to God. And this dual meaning of Job is really fitting for this man. We also see that Job is a prominent man. He is a person of great wealth. Fortune back then was measured in livestock. 
And Job had plenty. He wasn't just some nomad wandering about in the wilderness. He had had established himself among the people. In fact, the text tells us that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. And Job was a family man as well. He had seven sons and three daughters, ten children in all. And these numbers would be significant to the Jewish mind. Three, seven, and ten all represent completeness. And the fact that, that Job had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 1,000 donkeys and oxen demonstrate that Job's life was complete, both in his career and in his family. He truly was a blessed man. But, but most importantly, we see the character of Job. Look with me again at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uts whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Job was blameless and upright. He feared God and turned away from evil. What does the author mean by this? Was Job sinless? Surely that was not the case. Later in the story, Job even admits that he is a sinner. So what could he possibly mean by this? There is a Latin phrase that was often used by Martin Luther, Coram Deo, Coram Mundo. It means righteousness before God and righteousness before the world. As Christians, we receive our righteousness uh, through Christ. We receive his righteousness through faith. And that is our standing before God. Yet it is through our good deeds as Christians that our righteousness can be seen by the world. This is Job. He, He feared God and turned away from evil. Coram Deo. He was blameless and upright, Coram Mundo. Job had faith in God, and he loved his neighbors. He was faithful to his wife and to his children. He did not cheat anyone in business. In today's world, we would consider him to be a godly man. And we see his godliness on display. Look at verses 4 and 5. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, many think that Job's children were these wild and disobedient little creatures, but that's to misunderstand the the text and the culture of Job's day. These feasts indicate that this family was tight-knit. Most likely, each of Job's seven sons was assigned a day of the week to host the family meal. 
And these brothers, they looked after their sisters, inviting them in, taking care of their needs. We can see Job's godly character rubbing off on them. And finally, we see that Job acted as a priest for his family. He would present the birth burnt offerings for the sins of his children each and every week. Just as a Christian father should bring his children to church in order to hear the message of forgiveness week in and week out, Job also desired forgiveness for each of his children as well. While Job was not sinless, we see that he lived out his faith before God and before men. In many respects, he was innocent. And this is the righteous living that God calls all of his children to. Coram Deo, Coram Mundo. Act 2. With Job's character now established, the scene shifts upward to the throne room of God. The angels were presenting themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the accuser, was among them. Now notice that it was God who began the conversation. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. Not only did God initiate the conversation, but he was the one who brought up Job's name as well. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Two things to notice here. First, we get a glimpse of how God sees Job. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and turns away from evil. It's the same exact wording that we saw in verse 1. Again, coram Deo, coram Mundo. God sees Job as being both righteous before him and righteous before men. Think about that. This is coming from the very mouth of God. How would you feel if, if God voiced those words about you? How freeing would that be to your conscience? Second thing to notice, God was the one who put forth Job's name to Satan, not the other way around. Ponder this for a moment. God is all-knowing, right? He had to have known what Satan's response would be. It says, it's as if God wanted Job's faith to be questioned and challenged. This is your theological dilemma. God knows Job to be an innocent man, and yet he is the instigator of Job's suffering. How are you to come to terms with a God like this? What do you do with a God who sovereignly allows good men to suffer? Let's see how Satan responded. Look at verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? 
This is the heart of the issue. In fact, this is the heart of the whole book of Job. Does Job fear God for no reason? Basically, Satan thought Job's only motive for worshiping God was because of what he could get out of it. Satan considered Job to be a prosperity believer. He was questioning Job's intentions. And in doing so, he was subtly questioning whether or not God in and of himself is even worthy of worship. God saw Job as a true man of faith, yet Satan seemed to think that God was not worthy of praise, even from the best of men. You see, God had put a hedge of protection around Job and had blessed him completely. Satan thought that this was the only reason that Job feared God. In his estimation, Job was just another prosperity believer. And this is the heart of most religions in the world, a prosperity message. It's what I witnessed when I was a missionary in Thailand. People bowing down to their gods and their idols in order to obtain worldly blessings in one form or another. There is no worship for the mere fact of whom these gods might be, but only for, the, only for what the worshiper can get out of it. Yet we see this same type of teaching in the church today as well. It's known as the prosperity gospel. A message which basically states that faithfulness to God will result in worldly blessings. In a, in a system like this, God is no longer the object of worship. Rather, the prosperous life is a thing that is treasured. Instead of loving God, they love the food that he brings to the table. You see, Satan's claim was twofold. First, Job only loves the blessings he receives from God and not God himself. And second, and this one's a little bit more subtle, God is not worthy of being loved apart from his gifts. In other words, God is, is not worthy of praise based solely on whom he is. So, in verse 11, we see Satan's bold challenge. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. Okay, God, let's see if Job's faith is real. Take away that, that hedge, and we'll, we'll find out if Job still fears you. God's response in verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hands. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In this verse, we see the sovereignty of God and the limitations upon Satan. Satan is only allowed to do the things he does because God permits it. Satan is allowed to wreak havoc upon Job, but only so far. There's a limitation. In a strange way, this demonstrates God's love for Job, for Job is his treasured possession 
And he does not want harm to come to this man. Yet for his own purposes, God allows Job to suffer. For the most part, the, the reason behind suffering remains hidden to us. It was hidden to Job as well. Job knew nothing about that interaction between God and Satan in the heavens. From Job's perspective, his suffering was pointless. Dear friends, there is much more going on behind the scenes than we humans know about or understand. There are instances in life where God seems distant and we ask, where is God in my time of need? Yet for some, God is a little bit too close. And instead they ask, God, why are you doing this to me? Trials and tribulations come to us that offer no explanation at all. And human wisdom fails in such events. You will not always know the reasons that God acts as he does. And yet the Lord asks of you to trust in him through your suffering. Does Job fear God for no reason? Moving on to Act 3, our final scene for today. Job will have, have a day full of trials, suffering, and testing. Satan attacks Job from many different directions. Sabaeans from the, from the south steal Job's oxen and donkeys. Fire from the heavens consume Job's sheep. Chaldeans from the north, they, they, they take away Job's camels. And finally, a, a mighty wind from the east plucks the lives of his beloved children. Satan uses both his human servants and the, and the forces of nature to do his bidding. Imagine Job's thoughts as he saw the messengers come, one after another. It's as if he, he faces the south and sees damage. And turning quickly, he, he, he looks up and witnesses destruction. He then turns to the north only to find devastation. And finally, he faces the east and views unimaginable desolation. That final horrific blow, the, the death of his children, had to, been, had to have struck him the deepest. Remember, these are the children that he loved dearly. Recall all he did for them, the, the sacrifices he made each and every week, and the unity that they had as a family as they ate meals together. It is the deaths of our loved ones that seem to damage us the most severely. I was only 17 when my Uncle Mark and my 13-year-old cousin Brian died in a car accident. It was the, the first time that a tragedy like this struck my family. And sure, we had deaths before in the family, but that, those were from natural causes of aging. This was sudden and unexpected. What I, what I remember most is the, the numbness that overtook my body. And yet at the same time, I wanted answers. 
I was angry at God. And though this tragedy occurred over 24 years ago, I, I still feel the loss to this day. Death comes to everyone. We don't get to choose when or how. Death is the enemy that strikes at the heart. It is, it is a judgment that God warned Adam and Eve about in the garden. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. How do you deal with suffering? Does your faith in God wane? Do you question God's goodness, his justice, his love? Let's see how Job responded. Verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. To, to tear one's robe and to shave one's head, they, they were cultural symbols of grief. Yet in his sorrow, Job fell down to worship. He humbled himself before his God by bowing low. You see, Job realized that, that all that he had came from God, and God had every right to take it all away. He understood that prosperity in this life was not guaranteed. And Job had lost almost everything he had. But he did not lose his faith in God. The Apostle James tells us about Job's steadfast faith. James chapter 5, verses 10 and 11 say this. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job's faith was steadfast. He persevered. In Job, we see Satan proved a liar and God's word proved true. Job drew closer to God. What Satan purposed for evil, God used for good. And even though God instigated Job's anguish, he did it to strengthen his faith. He uses suffering to build up the faith in all of his children. Every person deals with grief and sorrow at some point. The lesson that we learn from Job is one of humility and trust. You see, the, the, the point of this story is to increase your faith in God. It is to grow your dependence upon him. Suffering has a purpose. It allows you to understand your brokenness 
And it gives you the knowledge of who you really are. A creature under the sovereign will of your creator. Grief allows you to cling to God more tightly. God uses it to strengthen the faith of those who trust in him. Dear friends, true faith triumphs through suffering. Yet suffering does one more thing. It points you to Christ. You see, by becoming a man, Jesus entered into your suffering. Job is a precursor to our Lord. Just as Job was innocent, Christ was more innocent. He was the sinless lamb of God. And just as Job suffered when he shouldn't have, even more so, Christ suffered when he should have been praised and worshipped. And just as Job was steadfast in his faith, not cursing God, Jesus prayed these words, Yet not my will, but yours be done. Just as Job lost his hedge of protection, Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Brothers, sisters, there is purpose in suffering. Christ suffered for you. He took upon himself your sins, paying the just penalty upon that cross. When you want the world to be fair, when you want that justice, all you need to do is to look to the cross. For it is there that justice meets an all-powerful and good God. You see, your true comfort, it comes from God alone. When, when trials come your way, you, you will find true peace when you put your trust in the Lord. When, when sorrow invades your life, you need a rock that cannot be moved. Jesus is that rock. In Job, we, we see a man who, who kept his faith through suffering. It is because of Christ and the, and the suffering he undertook for you that like Job, God sees you as blameless and upright one who fears God and turns away from evil. Coram Deo, Coram Mundo. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you right now that on our, in our own strength, we, we, we do lack faith, particularly in the midst of pain and grief. Help us to focus our eyes upon you and upon your son. He's the one who entered into our suffering for our sake. Strengthen us with, with your Holy Spirit so that in our trials and 
tribulations, we too can have the steadfast faith of Job. That we might praise your name despite our, our present circumstances. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, normally, I will bless my congregation with a benediction. So if you are okay with it, do you mind if I give you a benediction? All right. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And may the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen.